Father, in you alone, in you alone, do our souls settle and find rest. We long and we thirst and we desire and we try to fill that place with all kinds of things, God. And they all leave us with a parched soul until we come to the place where we give our life to Jesus and put you there. So God, thank you that you are the one who wants to be in that central place in our life. And God, you sent us your word now to hear from you how to do that. And so God, speak to us, speak to our hearts, especially of your love and your invitation to come and put you at the center of our being. And we give ourselves to you now in this next bit that we would hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day again. We're glad you're here this morning. It is Father's Day, and I've got one of the fathers I deeply respect in our church. And uh, a good friend, Jim Harding, many of you know him. He's been a pastor in this city for many years, many decades. Probably be safer to say at this point. And uh, we're glad you're here, Jim. So happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day back at you. Yeah. How many kids and grandkids do you have? And how many are here today? I've got three children and six grandchildren, and I see two of the children back there. They're all here. Everybody's here. You got the whole crew today. All right. Well, good. Tell us a little bit about what's been a blessing to be a, a dad to you. I think the greatest blessing is receiving the love and admiration of your child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is good to see our kids grow up, right, and to uh, grab a hold of the things that matter to us and walk in those ways and respect what we have taught them. That is such an encouraging thing. You know, and there's some frustration along the way, right? No doubt. What are some of the challenges that you have faced along the way that you, yeah, Well, the biggest challenge, I would say, is realizing that your child slash children are going to follow your example more so than your advice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I do find that kind of, for me, maybe the biggest challenge, maybe even burden, I would say, is to be a godly example, and I know a lot of times I'm not, and they do, they pick up those things. But maybe those are good things, too, because we get to practice forgiveness in families. That's what healthy families do, and it's just good to see our kids grow and walk with Jesus and, and serve him. So, yeah, we're, we want to wish you all a happy Father's Day, and I thought we'd do something a little special here this morning. Um, and that is to have all the dads in the room stand, and then Pastor Jim will pray a prayer over them. Can we do that? Would you be brave, guys? Dads that are, that are fathers, stand up, and uh, we're going to pray a prayer of blessing on your life here uh, this morning. As we pray, children, would you pray for your fathers today? Father, and we are so grateful that we can address you as Father. No greater Father. Father's love for us. Father's patience, concern for us. We thank you. And we thank you for these fathers standing before you today. 
It's a tough challenge being a father in this world. And we pray for them, the strength they need, the courage they need, the direction, the provision, the protection that they need to be the fathers you would have them to be. Thank you for them. We pray your blessings upon them, my Lord. And God, we ask this all in the precious mm -hmm. name of our Father, mm -hmm. Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So we're in a series in James, and we've come to chapter 5, just a couple weeks left. And uh, we actually, um, I might mention this, I haven't mentioned it yet, but we're gonna, we have an exciting summer series for you also um, as you turn to James 5. We're going to do the I Am's, the great I Am's of Jesus through July and early August. And there's seven I Am's. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. Seven I Am's of Jesus. And I have got, we have got seven preachers in this congregation and they're going to preach one each. Check it out. Like this is going to be cool. And uh, God's going to kind of help us see what he's doing and gifting people and wiring people and calling people. And I, for one, am just so excited about uh, this. Jim will do one, I'll do one, Jerry will do one, and then four mystery preachers out there. Like, right? <laughs> Find out who they are. You've got to come to hear. So, but we're in James chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 6, and we've got two parts this morning. One is warnings to the rich. Again, this is why we preach the Bible through, because we don't want to just pick topics we just kind of go through texts, and they lead us to here. This is God's topic that he's brought to us today, a little bit about money. And then um, the second half is uh, through verse 11, uh, patience in endurance and, pers and perseverance through trial. So those are the two points this morning. So let's read verses 1 to 6. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I have taught James through two or three times in my life as a preacher, and, and what has hit me this time, one of the many things, is kind of the strong language James uses. Like, he's really strong here. He has this tone of judgment uh, for those, and I think in particular he's speaking to those who don't yet believe in God or in Jesus. And so he's saying if you put your hope in wealth, it's just not going to go well for you. Now, it, I want us to see right up front, it, it is not wealth that's the problem. It's how they obtained it and how they used it. That's really important to see here. But these people made it, put their hope in it and... Um, Highlights really four ways in which they did that. One was in verse 1 to 3 where they hoarded uh, material wealth, uh, accumulated as much as they could, focusing just on themselves. 
And James warns them, like, judgment's coming. It's a big fall off of that cliff. If your hopes and wealth is all going away in the end, there ain't going to be any of it with you. You're not going to buy Jesus well done at the end. That doesn't happen. Like, he's going to speak the truth. So that was one. They hoarded. Second of all, they, they withheld wages. You see this? They're workers and the harvesters. is an ag economy. They didn't pay them. They, they defrauded them. And the basic principles that God has set up is there is work, and work is a gift of God. We see it in Genesis 2. And then for our work, there's a wage to be paid, and that's the way we earn money. And it's a healthy combination that goes together when it's done right. And, and these people worked, but they didn't get paid. Thirdly, there is uh, these people were living a life of indulgence, lavish living, and, and giving it, none of it away, but all focusing on all themselves and spending it on their own selfish interests. And then finally, they mistreated the poor and mistreated the righteous people, who, by the way, in those days were largely Christians. Christians were, in the first century, mostly poor people. And so some of the perseverance we're going to hear in the second half of this sermon might have been spoken to those who weren't getting their wage and didn't have the resources to live on. And this, these principles are so important, and, and they're righteous, and they're holy. In fact, it reminded me of a mentor of mine, as well in his 80s now, and uh, he was a, a CEO of a company for many years when I was in Nebraska, and, and uh, he had hundreds of employees, and when I'd go visit him, he was in our church, and I'd go visit him, he'd take me out on the shop, I just loved manufacturing, and, and, and he, would, he would say to me, I am so honored that these people show up to work here, because they could go anywhere. They could pick any job. They're very capable. And yet they choose to come and work here. And so I want to treat them as best I possibly know how and be thankful for them. Isn't that amazing? Like that, that was just Christ-like. It just soaked into my soul and has stayed with me for, for decades. And it is so important to see God's principles of work and honoring the worker with his wage. There's other scripture that speaks to this whole matter of misuse of funds and, and wealth. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, and yet some people try to do it, and it just doesn't work. Paul warned that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. And then Jesus said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Yeah, I think that those are important verses. Um, that principle that, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and misuse of it. Riches themselves are not evil. They're a blessing of God. In fact, Abraham, one of the patriarchs that we studied in the winter season this last year, 
the Bible says in Genesis 13 too that he was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. He had an abundance of possession. In fact, the land was hardly big enough to hold all that he possessed. Blessed by God. To be used by God. To be a blessing to others. And to remember that every good and every perfect gift, James 1.17, is from God and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. And that we have a God in heaven who longs to and wants to take care of his people. Uh, Psalm 37.25 says this, I have been, old, been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread that God takes care of his and those that trust in him and he tells us in first Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 that he gives us everything to enjoy verse 17 of first Timothy 6 as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to Enjoy. He wants us to enjoy our wealth. In fact, Christians should enjoy planet Earth and the resources of planet Earth more than anybody because God asks us to do it. But what he asks us to do is steward it well as people who have been blessed by him and been given those resources from him. I think some things that my wife and I tried to do with our kids as they were growing up to teach them about money one was tithing to begin with. The Bible teaches in both the Old and New Testament that we should tithe. In fact, in Malachi, we read, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. We taught our kids, your allowance is 50 cents, Five cents goes to the Lord. We're faithful in the tithe. And I'm, I'm in my 75th year, and I can say this. Through most of my adult life, I've practiced that. I know I've heard 35 years of pastoring and ministry. I've heard time and again, we can't afford to. And I say you can't afford not to. And the testimony of my life is, through my life as an adult, I've, I've tithed. And God's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. We've never gone without. The second thing we tried to teach our kids was to work, to earn their money. Not just to have everything given to them, but to, to have the, the self-respect and dignity of, of working for, for things. And then to take responsibility. Take responsibility for your things. Don't expect mom and dad always to swoop in and bail you out if, if something's broken or, or needs uh, repair or fixing or whatever. Uh, you've damaged something, take responsibility. Uh, one of my children, I can use as an illustration of that, um, we lived in a house back in Illinois before we moved out here. Uh, back in the mid-80s to begin pastoring here. We lived in a house directly across the street from the Presbyterian church. And one day, one of my children, about eight years old, came in the house and was white as a ghost. You knew from looking at him something was wrong. And so we talked to him and found out 
that he had been throwing mud clods. And one of the mud clods had bounced off the sidewalk near the church and had gone through what he thought was a stained glass window. He had every reason to be white as a ghost. So he and I, well, he and I, now I've told you who it is. We went across the street to see the pastor. And he paid for the window. Fortunately, colored glass, not stained glass. And we replaced the window. And we, were, we learned something that day about taking responsibility. Yeah, those are good principles and that uh, serve us well as we walk, walk in them. And maybe a couple thoughts, um, things that have mattered to us. One is, and I think especially in this day where it's getting pretty tough financially, I think, and potentially some hard times ahead. And you look at, like, how do I do housing in this city? And, you know, what if we have a, a, you know, a recession and, and markets are crazy? And, like, what's going on, right? So... I think this core principle is important, Jim, and that is that God is for us, right? He is for us, and he wants us to be successful. He, he wants to bless us. That is his aim. This is why he gives us these principles. And so to rest in that, that God is for you financially, and if we seek him and seek to obey him, he will provide. But he gives us resources not to just indulge, like we saw in the text, but to actually be on mission for him, to do things that advance his goodness and his welfare and his kingdom purposes, and to use money and all that we have in that way. In fact, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, that sums up this great Romans 1 to 11, the last verse says this, for from him and to him, and through him is everything. That's all. Every, every bit of resource and money we have is from him and to him and through him. And so uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, he was given his wealth, it says, to be a blessing. You've been blessed, Abraham, now be a blessing. And Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to find happiness with your resources? Then be generous. Pick a cause. Pick things that matter to you. For Mary and I, we've done a lot of uh, giving to ministries of various types over many years. Um, but there's lots of good secular organizations, too, that you can give to. But, but be a part of missional causes that advance God's kingdom and, and advance welfare of humanity as a whole. In fact, I, I was talking to Glenn Apgar, um, one of our elders of many years, um, this is his last day in church, by the way, but, um, but he often would say, you know, I want to end my life and be able to say it mattered. And how do, how do we get to the end and say our lives mattered? And this is how we do it. We live on mission for, for God. And so I would say this, and this may sound a little trite, I think, but, but relax and enjoy the resources God has given you. Don't let them stress you out. God's going to provide, but do the things he's asking you to do. Make a plan, right? Have a budget. Like, plan how you're going to spend your money so that you do something deliberate with it instead of just let it be random. That's where we get in trouble. And then the most basic thing is don't spend more than you make. That should be part of your plan. You do that, you can relax and enjoy what God has given you. And those are good principles, I think, to live by. Moving to the second part of the passage today, verses 7 through 11, 
Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now you notice in these verses a word patience that appears several times. It appears in 7 and 8 and again in 10. It's the same word in the original language. And it means just what you think it means. To be patient, to endure, to be long-suffering. But I also like the word wait in verse 7. Because that word literally means to extend forth. It means to anticipate, to expect something. So the farmer is waiting for the crop, for the harvest. He's waiting as the believer waits for what God has promised. So it's not just an idea that we're just patient, we're just hanging out, we're just long-suffering, we're just toughing it out, but it's that we're actually expecting God to come through on what he's promised. That's a whole different ballgame that a lot of people live with, believe me. And then verse 11, when it talks about enduring and persevering, those words in the, in the original language literally mean to remain underneath. In other words, you're carrying a heavy load, and you're not going to just throw it off. You're not going to just run away from the responsibility. You are going to remain underneath the burden. So you're persevering, expecting God to come through, and... You're staying with the burden, with the responsibilities that you've been entrusted with. I remember another example of one of my children. It's well, nice that they're all here today, actually, to hear this. I'm glad they're here to, to hear this. Um, when we lived back in Missouri years ago, my very first pastorate, our house was back off the road, I don't know, 60 feet or so. And uh, so one winter's day it snowed a lot and I got the kids out and we all decided to build a big snowman and we built a great one had a scarf and eyes and a nose and everything arms and, and we built a great snowman well that night we went to bed and somebody drove in off the street we lived on kind of a busy street drove into our yard off of the street ran the snowman down and ran back out in the street. I got up the next morning. I couldn't believe it. But I got the kids up and I said, okay, we're going to go back out. and We're going to rebuild that snowman. We are not going to quit. We are not going to give up. We're going to see this thing through. So we went out and we built ourselves a bigger snowman than we did the first day. A better snowman than the first day. And we were so proud of having learned something about perseverance. Guess what happened? <laughs> that night, I guess that same idiot drove into our yard again, ran our snowman down, and ran back into the street. 
Well, I got up the next morning and I said, we are not settling for this. We are going to see this through. We're not giving up on our snowman. And so we went out and built a snowman again, third time. But that day it got really warm and our snowman melted before that idiot could come running down that night. Perseverance. It's refreshing to hear you say the word idiot, actually, Jim. I like that. I kind of... <laughs> oh, that's good. Great story. Yeah, so look at, I think what the author's trying to tell us here is is that suffering is normative for the Christian and that we should expect, in fact, as Pastor Jim said, we're going to remain under it, that God has purposes for it. Um, and it's spoken of in actually 2 Corinthians twelve nine, where it says, uh, Paul speaking, asking God to take away the suffering and the burden, says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. And we get a sense here that, like, there's bigger purposes for our suffering, to experience his grace and to experience his power. First of all, God says, my grace will be sufficient. I will be enough for you through it. We have to wait for him as we sang sometimes. But that he will give us the resources we need and the power. We get to experience his power in the middle of suffering. So we should face it boldly. God likes us to feel weak so that we depend on him and we call out to him and then experience his strength within us. He tells us we can't do anything without him. And so this teaches us that. But also that there are greater purposes in our suffering. He never wastes pain for us. He's always doing something, right? What, 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 God, what are you up to? I was uh, with a young pastor this last week who's going, really going through it and so discouraged, and um, boy, um, but, I, but I said to him, I said, like, what's God doing? What's he saying here? Like, let's, let's listen to him for a moment as we talk, um, and as we could think about some of the things that God was doing, um, it gave us hope. Um, he's up to something, and right now, that song says, and um, and so we're to trust him and see that in our weakness, he's teaching us to uh, depend on him. And, and he gives us three examples in this text. It's interesting. He gives us the farmer, verses 7 to 9, and then the prophets and Job in uh, 10 and 11. And, and he talks about farmers as being sort of these remarkable people that are persevering in the middle of trial, right? Have you known farmers? I know a bunch of them because I was a pastor in Nebraska and we had hundreds of them that were friends, and they, they are, they're crazy people. They like getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Like, you call a meeting in Nebraska, and if you want to meet with them, it's got to be like 5.30. If it's 8 or 9, they're, they're, like, they're off working. I like Utah, where, like, I can have an 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock breakfast. It's kind of nice here, so. But they're always fighting, you know, the weather and the markets and their health and broken equipment. And yet they just keep going. Nothing stops them, right? That's just great examples of perseverance. I remember we had a, a big snowstorm one winter and wind like it is and 20 below zero kind of thing it goes on in Nebraska. And, 
and all the drifts piled up against the fences and created a perfect thoroughfare for the cows so they could just walk over the fences and out into the roads in the city, <laughs> right? And so, the, you know, these poor farmers, their cows are like all over town. And sure enough, they wake up, they find this, and they're out there collecting them, gathering them, getting them back into their fences. This is who they are. The nothing stops them because their eye, it says, and this text is on the harvest, and it's a long season of staying true to your purposes to get there. And our harvest is when we stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives that we might hear well done from him and to stay at it over the long haul so that we hear um, that well done. Second example was the prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, and others. It was tough delivering a word for the Lord because people didn't like it any more than they like it today. And prophets had to persevere. And Job, my goodness, we think about Job, but at the same time we think about the fact that Job was God's best. What was allowed into Job's life is not what is going to be allowed into most people's lives. He, he was the best, and God allowed it for a reason, and because of it all, God was glorified, and Job's character was shaped and purified, and endurance was learned. And we're still reading about Job 4,000 years later. I like what Warren Wiersbe said about Job. He said, some people go into the furnace of affliction and it burns them. Others go in and the experience purifies them. The difference is their attitude toward God. Mm -hmm. So principles to be remembered about patience. One, just admit it's a battle. It is. Satan wants us to become impatient. He wants us to be defeated. 1 Peter 5.8 says, beware, because our enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking around looking for somebody to devour, to destroy. That's what the devil does. He can destroy your life. He can destroy your family. Whatever he can destroy, that's what he wants to do. That's what he does. But you go back one chapter in James, James 4, 7, and James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Yeah, so we're called to persevere. And, pr and trials provide us that opportunity to grow and learn as they teach us and refine us. But one of the things we talked about this week, Jim, I thought was good, was that we don't really get to celebrate unless we go through a hard time. Isn't that true? Right. And so the best celebrations of life come on the heels of going through trials. And uh, in fact, I was recalling in my life, uh, my years in seminary, and I probably shouldn't share this because you probably um, shouldn't have hired me. <laughs> but it took me 12 years to get through seminary, right? 12 years and I was a pastor and I had little children under my roof and I quit six times I did like I, I dropped out for a semester and oh I gotta finish this but the day that I got done right now that was a party I remember walking out of that door and I remember that wasn't enough so I went back in and walked out again because <laughs> <laughs> yes 
But we don't get those celebrations unless it's a, a trial. But probably in the middle of all of it, maybe the most important thing is to realize to just walk close to God, to let the adversity draw us to him, to be personal and intimate with him, and to draw upon him for strength, uh, to experience his love and his grace, to come to the throne of grace in the hard times, because that's where we find uh, strength to persevere. So let, let's begin to wrap this up, and let's talk a little bit about the gospel, Jim, because um, James is filled with practical principles that anybody could grab a hold of and just do and find blessing, right? But if we miss the gospel, we miss the whole thing. So let's talk about how the gospel fits into this teaching. Well, what we do as believers is because we love the Lord. It's not to try to appease the Lord like some religions do. It's not to try to earn brownie points with the Lord. We serve him. We remain faithful to him because we love him. It's an act of love. And so our perseverance is because we love him, because we trust him, because we're seeking to be faithful to him. Yeah. This gospel message is important to keep at the core of these principles. It is the grace of Christ that teaches us to walk in obedience, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. I mean, there's nothing we do. We don't do this to get a right standing with God. We do this because we've been blessed by God through salvation. We've been given forgiveness and given eternal life, given the spirit through personal faith and faith alone. And then out of that, then we walk in obedience. And keeping that gospel at the core is so important. So let's close by talking about maybe just a couple of, uh, of things from our own life. And Ben, you can come on up. Um, I was reading this week in uh, the most recent statistics from Barna, which is kind of a group that gathers statistics about people and Christians, and, and it said that of all the people that go into ministry as a vocation, only 10% retire as a pastor. Only 10% persevere to the end. Now, God can call us to different things. I realize that. But, but that's like a really small percentage of people that actually make it to the end still in ministry. And we were talking about you and I have been in vocational ministry together about 68 years total. And you retired in ministry, although we're calling you out of retirement now. We're getting you back <laughs> up here preaching, and we're thankful. Um, perseverance is a hard thing like you've been through a lot and I'm getting to know you pretty well and you've been through a lot in your life and you've stayed true to Jesus tell us a little bit of some of the principles that have helped you kind of navigate through the hard seasons of life I think one is admitting I can't do it I can't do any of this without you Lord I really can't every Sunday my last pastor in particular, I remember every Sunday before I went in to, to preach, I got on my knees and said exactly that. I can't do this today without you. I can't preach without you. I don't even want to try. That's one principle, admitting that. And number two is God's got me. I truly believe that. I really believe He's going to come through on the promises He's made to me. And third, I'm thankful. I just am. You can choose to be a complainer, a whiner, a griper, or you can just realize what you've got. Thank you. And 
you, um, you've been through stage four cancer. You've had a wife pass away of cancer. You've lost a wife. You've been through other really significant events in your life. You shared a little bit of a story of that in the first service. I think it would be good for these people to hear. So would you share a little bit kind of that with us, would you? Yeah, yeah my, uh, my wife and I spent our entire adult life together. Let's sing it. 